We're lucky enough to get Dr. Andrew Smith with us again. He's the director of the University of New Hampshire's Survey Center and a professor of practice for the University of New Hampshire's Political Science Department. Dr. Smith, good to have you back on News and Views. Thank you, sir. Great to talk to you. Well, here we go, right? I mean, it, it, New Hampshire spoke. Uh, give me your take on it. What happened here? Well, uh, the, the people who voted for Donald Trump in 2016 and 2020 voted for him again. It is Donald Trump's party, uh, both in New Hampshire and across the country. And it's not surprising that uh, they voted for Trump. Um, Nikki Haley had, a, I think, ran an excellent campaign, frankly, but given the given the cards that she was dealt. Uh, but she was only going to get those people who hadn't already voted for Trump or really didn't like Trump. And that's just not a majority of the Republican electorate. Not here, not anywhere. I saw some of the numbers coming out of New Hampshire of people that claim to be uh, independents uh, or independent-minded, and a, a big percentage of those broke for Haley. Uh, what would that mean yeah. for a fall election here? Well, they'll probably lose just like he did in 2020 and 2016. Um, so the, New Hampshire is a state that leans Democratic. It's not heavily Democratic, maybe um, plus 3% Democratic. But it, it, it leans that way, and which means if a Republican's going to win a statewide election here, uh, they have to do really well among more moderate voters, more independent voters who aren't so partisan. Um, but frankly, in any any state, the people who are truly independent is a very small block. Uh, but for de for Republicans here, you got to have them because they're just more uh, Democrats than Republicans. Uh, Dr. Smith, I made the argument, and apparently I was wrong uh, that. If if Nikki Haley didn't come within single digits of Donald Trump, that it basically would end her campaign and she wouldn't go on to South Carolina because that's home. Uh, she won two governor races there and had served in the legislature there. And why go home and end your campaign getting beat in your home state? Um, did New Hampshire end her race, even though she announced she's going home to South Carolina? Did New Hampshire basically end her race for president? Effectively, yes. It's going to take some time. It's not surprised that you say that. That's what candidates always say, that they're going to go on to the next place. They're going to fight it out to the bitter end. But the truth is their campaign is back evaluating right now what their options are, how much money they have, what can they do, uh, what their supporters are maybe going to send in additional cash for, because campaigns end when the money runs out. And if you look at the next states that are going on, um, she's not even going to campaign in Nevada. So she's essentially conceding that uh, that'll be uh, something else for Trump to talk about as another win and another loss for her. Uh, I think she had to win in New Hampshire, not only win, but win convincingly five points or more uh, to be able to convince those voters in her home state that uh, she is somebody that they should reconsider. Because remember, South Carolina went heavily for Trump both in 2016 and 2020. Um, so it's, it, again, she had a very, very, very slim chance of winning. The worst thing that happened for Haley is that uh, DeSantis and Ramaswamy dropped out because their, their voters' second choice was Donald Trump. She needed them to stay in the race in order to split the Trump vote up. And so she had a chance to get closer to him, maybe even get over top of it. But once DeSantis dropped out and Ramaswamy dropped out, she really had no opportunity to win in New Hampshire. And if she can't win in New Hampshire, she's not going to win anywhere. You said that she ran a good race, and I think many believes that she worked quite hard in New Hampshire. But the very start after Iowa, there were some questions out there. 
about not being willing to debate, about, uh, you know, not coming out and, and meeting with the public and taking, uh, you know. Oh, oh, she did. She I have to push back a little bit on the not meeting with the public. She met with the public more than any candidate did. Donald Trump only held a couple big rallies, no questions, no interactions with voters, no interactions with the press. Haley was much better than that. But yeah. The problem is there's only so many voters you can talk to. Retail well, politics really doesn't work. It doesn't work in New Hampshire. It doesn't work other places. I, I guess the point I was trying to make was I think the press wanted more access to her in the beginning. Oh, yeah. And, oh, and, yes. They, and that's <laughs> what was what was being played out. Well, the press always want access to the candidates. They think it's all about them rather than about the voters and the candidates. That's That's kind of the nature of that business. And I think that's one of the things that Haley really did a good job about is running an extremely disciplined campaign. Uh, but the press like the candidates who might say something or do something different, something that's off script, because that makes news for them. Uh, but for a really good candidate, you have to be on message all of the time and not say something that you have to explain later on. The, you know, the old rule is if you're explaining, you're losing. And what I like to look at is in the back of the room, if the press row is basically um, mouthing the words to the candidate's speech down to the hand gestures, then you know you've got a good political speech. The press hate it, but the voters like it because they're hearing the message. And uh, there's an old uh, Republican political operative here, a guy named Jerry Carmen, just died recently. He chaired Ronald Reagan's campaign in 1980. He went on to be head of the General Services Administration and then ambassador to the United Nations. So a really sharp political guy. And in 1980, he said, you know, Governor Reagan, your speech is getting a little tired. We need to spice it up a bit. We need to liven up, freshen it up. And Reagan turned to him and said, Jerry, it's a lot easier to change an audience than it is to change a speech. And the press hate that. <laughs> That's, there's some truth to that. There's, oh, there's what, a lot of truth What, what was yeah. the old adage about New Hampshire? And you can go ahead and correct me because that's home for you. But, uh, yeah. you know, one of the candidates walked up in a cafe and shook hands with an individual and said, hey, can I count on your vote? And he said, uh, you know, I've only met you twice. I haven't made up my mind yet. <laughs> you know, in New Hampshire, that's, they're going to meet you. No, they're not. That's a myth. Um, I've been here and covering campaigns since uh, the, the 1990s in New Hampshire. In in our recent polling here in New Hampshire, only 10 percent of Republican uh, primary voters said they've even been in an event with a candidate. Um, 90 percent have not. Um, in the in the uh, only 30 percent said they even had any contact with the campaign. Voters here get their information the same way voters do across the country. They hear it on TV. They read it in the newspaper. They get the, uh, the commercials on TV. They get the mailers in their mailbox. Um, we have a myth about uh, how um, our voters are special somehow and that voter candidates have to meet them. You have to go through the motions and say that you're meeting uh, voters, that you uh, um that you are a person of the people willing to take questions, but you can only reach a very few people that way. Candidates have limited amount of time, limited amount of energy. It's much better um, used by uh, doing media or media events, radio interviews, TV interviews, et cetera, yeah. big rallies where you can get five and 10,000 people into a room. But this uh, small, small rooms, uh, really is not an effective way of campaigning, but you have to show that you're willing to do it. As somebody who's been involved in statewide campaigns and actually helped out on presidential campaigns, I know that you are 100% right. Uh, I'll tell Barnacle, who I heard it from, that that just simply isn't true. Uh, Barnacle, Barnacle, he's wrong so much about the <laughs> primary. That it, well, he's from I've Massachusetts, right? Well, you know, 
there's a, there's an old saying, uh, an old uh, Western movie called The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance about a small-town newspaper guy in the West. And the last line is, uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. And that's what the press does. <laughs> I don't doubt that. Let me ask you this, though, because, you know, it's your home. You're passionate about your home, and I, I respect that. There's not a lot of votes. I mean, there isn't. Nope. When, when you look at the number of people who voted in yesterday's primary— should should that few of a number of people just in general be making that big of a splash? Well, uh, first off, let me just say that with a caveat, it's a whole lot more than Iowa, which is a state more than twice as large as New Hampshire, uh, both in geography. But, and but they caucus in Iowa, right? So, but there the Republican caucus is essentially a primary. It's just a shorter time period when you can go and vote. Uh, but the, the the big thing is New Hampshire is not important because of the voters here. We're not smarter than voters in any other state. We're not uh, more insightful. Candidates don't really have to campaign different. Uh, the big advantages that New Hampshire has on other states is that it is small. Uh, it's a highly educated state. It has a tradition of the New Hampshire primary. So primary day is kind of like our civic holiday. So you get a lot of people that come out and vote. So the electorate in the New Hampshire primary is more reflective of a general election primary. Um, turnout yesterday was record high. I'm not see, I, I haven't seen the final numbers, but it'll be close to 50 percent of voters in the state voted or 40 percent, 45 percent of the voters in the state voted. Iowa caucuses, you get 5 percent, 10 percent. Other state primaries, you get 10 to 15, maybe 20 percent. So it's a it's a broader reflection of the overall electorate. But the reason New Hampshire is important is simply because it's first. Uh, and the momentum you get from New Hampshire, where we've had campaigns going on for the past year or more, um, goes on to people in the other states where there really haven't been campaigns. So New Hampshire is important because the winner of New Hampshire essentially gets two to three hundred million dollars worth of earned advertising, as the, the the campaigns like to call it. They get th that much money that goes on to uh, voters in other states who haven't really been paying attention to the race. So you know, let me let me give my bias now. Uh, obviously, from from the other side of the aisle of Donald Trump, uh, if you look at those independent voters that that didn't vote for Donald Trump or claim to be independent. Uh, this wasn't as huge of a win as what you think. And his approach to campaigning in New Hampshire and then his statement about what New Hampshire had been before. I mean, th there's some lying going on there. This is an individual that said he carried New Hampshire three times. And last time I looked, uh, he didn't. And so well, well, he, he did. He did in the primary, so, to be fair. Well, I mean, all I remember was New Hampshire in the fall didn't vote for Donald Trump. They didn't do it twice. Right. Yes. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, it's it's kind of interesting how yeah. when you don't come to town, you can claim that, uh, you know, boy, you're, you're, you're the guy. And so that's well, – I'm giving you my bias, Doc. No, it is no bias. You know, the, the old saw is how can you tell when a politician is lying? Their lips are moving, um, and that's that's been true for as long as there have been politicians, and it'll be true long after I'm dead. Okay, I can't lose this opportunity for you, uh, Dr. Andrew Smith, Director of University of New Hampshire's Survey Center. I, who wins this thing in the fall? Uh, I think it's way too early to say. Voters aren't paying attention to the fall yet. Um, it, it, and what's going to happen on both the Republican side and the Democratic side is they have – Two unpopular nominees, 
I think both parties would rather have somebody else, definitely more Democrats and Republicans. But what's going to happen in the fall for the most for most voters is that they're going to trudge to the polls after having a, an incredibly uninformative campaign. And they're going to vote for their party's candidate. And they're going to rationalize why their party skunk is better than the other party skunk. Yeah. Uh, if there's a third party, we don't know who that will draw votes from. We don't know. That third party, if there is one, will likely be a spoiler. They're not going to really win themselves because American politics is partisan driven. Great majority of people are just going to vote for their party from the top of the ticket to the bottom of the ticket. Um, there's not a lot of thinking or rational uh, rational thinking going on. There's a lot of rationalizing going on, but not rational thinking. Uh, and uh, we're going to have a very uninspiring election campaign with a lot of negative campaigning going on by both sides. Nobody's going to be happy with it, and half the country's not going to like the outcome. Yeah, I think both major parties have some explaining to do to America when both of the individuals would be 80 years old in that term. Uh, it's it's they have some explaining to do. Uh, Dr. Smith, always good to talk to you, sir. Thanks for coming on. Pleasure to talk with you too. Keep in touch. You bet, Dr. Andrew Smith.